Our Breast Lives, episode 17, a podcast not only about two women thriving with metastatic breast cancer, but also self-love, appreciation, and overall awakening to this beautiful gift we call life. Each episode, we will be focusing on a different theme that will highlight each episode. Please don't forget to not only tune in, but to also subscribe and review. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Living Our Breast Lives. My name is Brittany, and with me is Ren. Hey, everyone. So I'd first like to say a happy belated birthday to you, my friend. How the hell does it feel to have just celebrated your 36th birthday? Um, it feels wonderful because I didn't know that I would make it to 36, but then there's this like weird thing of, oh man, I'm getting older. This is exciting. (laughs) But now like, what else, you know, I have to look forward to the achy knees, you know, bad joints, the memory loss, stroke, heart attack. I got to like get my health on point here, you know, (laughs) the whole list follows. Yeah. It's like, I'm officially you know, I guess still mid thirties, but it's like, I'm really creeping to 40 and I'm not mad about that. No. I mean, I I've said it before. I used to dread birthdays cause it's like, ugh, you know, getting older. But now I'm just like, holy crap. Look where we are. Yes. It it's was huge. something we didn't think we would get the, you know, opportunity. Ability, yeah. Mm-hmm. Opportunity to do, to turn older and get older. And every year older is like, yeah, I'm yeah, baby. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so let's start by introducing the women of the hour, shall we? Introducing the myths, the legends, the bosses, the queens, the literal stars of the show. Britt, care to share? Absolutely not, but you can. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we're talking about vaginas. (laughs) I could never say that word and I can't say the male part either, but I'm like getting better at calling it, you know, you heard right. Other names. (laughs) We are actually going to do a mixed episode today about everyone's favorite topic. And then of course, I'd like to do a short bonus segment on fertility and what that may look like for someone diagnosed with, you know, breast cancer at an early age. So just a quick FYI, um, Brittany attended an actual seminar about this recently. And for me, I've seen a pelvic floor physical therapist for many years. So between the two of us, get ready for, you know, the medical caps to come out. And of course, for a highly educational episode. So we are basically scholars for today's episode. And might I add that I feel like this episode could have gone under our, that would have been nice to know episode because all of the information that's in today's episode, I have literally just learned in the past few months Yet, I've been on this journey for almost three years now. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Isn't it crazy that sometimes it can take so long for very important information like this to just like smack you across the face one day? Like, hello. Yep, and it really just shows how no matter how far into one's journey, there's always going to be more to learn, whether it's good or bad. Before we can even begin to talk about sex, we need to first talk about the lady bits. The downstairs kitty cat, the vajayjay, the vagina itself, the vagina. You said it. I know. It took a lot of buildup to do it. So regardless if you're sexually active or not, vaginal health is so important. So what makes a vagina healthy? Tissue that is moist. Moist. Stretchy. Girl, I can't with you. Tissue that is moist. 
open and stretchy and has good blood flow. Okay, wait, I just have to say something. So when I taught fifth grade, I would always teach um, human growth and development. And I would always start my lessons out by screaming vagina at the top of my lungs. And my fifth graders will reach out to me like even eight, nine years later and tell me that they remember that still from all those years ago. <laughs> and are now traumatized by the word. <laughs> But like in all seriousness, I just, I hate the word moist. I know, I know there has to be people out there that agree with me. Oh, hundred percent. I feel like so many people hate the word moist and I really don't know why, because like, for example, do you want a moist cake or do you want a dry cake? <laughs> moist is always better, vaginas included. So anytime that there's disruption to the menstrual cycle or ovarian function, Vaginal health can be compromised. Yay! Yay! So commonly breast cancer patients or on chemotherapy, like you or Ren, or hormone suppressants, as I am, and that can cause disruptions to the menstrual cycle by inducing what we call artificial menopause. And while there is a whole slew of symptoms related to menopause, if you want to hear them, listen to Living Our Breast Lives, episode 15, vaginal dryness is an extremely common symptom of ovarian suppression. And sadly, it does not get better on its own. Yep, like the damn Sahara Desert. <laughs> well, unless you're talking about this Sahara 20,000 years ago when it was still wet. <laughs> what? You, you didn't know that like 20,000 years ago during the African humid period, the Sahara was like full of grass, trees, and lakes before it became a painfully dry, barren wasteland. Oh God. Oh, that is, I, that's a really bad comparison that I just made. I'm literally visualizing tumbleweeds as we speak and like the noise that goes along with it from like the old Western movies. Yes. I don't know how to make a good Western movie noise, but that's like a dying coyote, which yeah. is maybe also out there, but. It's cool, we're failing, it's fine. Yeah, I need to get back and focus. Clearly, too many celebratory birthday drinks have caused me to lose focus, and vaginal dryness needs to be talked about. So, if you're thinking lubrication will help, not so much. Moisturizers and lubricants are not the same. Lubricants are going to make the surface nice and slick, help reduce that friction during sexy time, whereas moisturizers keep moisture in the tissue and can help repair the vagina. So when you're lathering up your skin for the day, don't forget your undercarriage. So as a disclaimer, do not use Curel, Aveeno, Jergens, or whatever other lotions you may use daily for your vagina. You're gonna wanna buy a vaginal moisturizer. They specifically make moisturizers for the vagine. Some of those brands are Reverie, Replense, Halogyne. Also, be sure to check the packaging for estrogen because mm. some moisturizers contain estrogen. And if you are hormone receptor positive, like me, you do not want that. And because I probably butchered some of the names that I just mentioned for moisturizers, I'm going to share a link in the podcast bio. And when I say I'm going to, Ren, will you do that for me? What are we going to do with you, Miss Brittany? <laughs> we all know I'm not the technical one behind our podcast. <laughs> now, you have your moisturizer. You're working your way to regaining a healthy vagina, but sex is painful. Painful sex is not from dryness alone. Nope. It also is from the vaginal tissue losing its ability to stretch. Did yep. you know your vagina could lose its ability to stretch? 
I did not. So dry vaginal tissue can lose elasticity, which then causes the pelvic floor muscles to get tight. The vaginal muscles, like any other muscle in the body, you don't use it, you lose it. Oh, I like that. You don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. So the last key to a healthy vagina, or any tissue in the body for that matter, is having a good blood flow. So stimulation is a great way to get blood flow into ow, another ow. region. And with that, I will let Ren elaborate. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? I mean, I'm not talking about it. The only thing that comes to mind is pet the kitty, be nice to the kitty. I think that was a good way to keep it PG because we are not that type of podcast. All of these changes do not happen to your vagina overnight, but they do happen at a more accelerated rate rather than if you were aging naturally. Now we talked about you don't use it, you lose it. What else could cause one to lose track of their sex life without or with a partner? Well, aside from being diagnosed with breast cancer, you are navigating through all these new physical and mental changes. You have low energy or fatigue, stress, changes in the weight from different medications, hair loss, potentially multiple breast surgeries. And while breast surgery isn't something that I can relate to, I can say I find nothing, absolutely nothing sexual about my breast, knowing there's cancer within it, and that cancer is trying to kill me. Oh shit, that was deep. I can totally relate to that. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you know, we mainstream breasts and like being all this sexual and woo-hoo. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Let's mm, keep those girls covered. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. So essentially, you're newly diagnosed with breast cancer. You're thrown into menopause way before your time. Your libido has diminished and intimacy has become non-existent. So all of this can most definitely disrupt a once upon a time healthy sex life between you and your partner. This isn't the once upon a time story I want. (sighs) Really isn't. And like not to mention the lack of intimacy, it could totally cause or be causing marital relationship problems between you and your partner. Uh, Resentment could be building. You could be struggling to talk to your partner about how desire is lacking because of the dreadful treatment. And like, come on, treatment's tough. You don't feel good from the side effects and you're traumatized by everything that has happened to your body. It's just a shit show. And I want to say this too, as a side note, ladies and men who are out there, if you are with a partner Maybe they're your husband, boyfriend, fiance, or you're looking to start a relationship if you're not in one and they don't support you Mm. during this part of your journey. They're not the one for you. And I know you don't want to hear that, but someone who is supposed to be your partner is going to be a hundred percent fully supportive. It might not make it any easier on them or you, but you are worth it and Preach. you are not worth settling for. Mm-hmm. You know, you might no longer feel like yourself fully, but no one should make you, you know, you'll work to get back to old At you. your own pace, on yes. your own time. Yes. And believe it or not, like the opposite of that is like sometimes your partner doesn't feel like themselves either. Like they've seen you endure a lot and you're in a very healthy, like equal 
partnership, like when you're hurting, like your partner is hurting. And, and some cancer patients seem to, you know, forget that. And we have to remember that the person diagnosed isn't the only person who suffers. And here's one crazier. Sometimes one's mental health can actually take longer to normalize than anything else. So like your body might be ready for sex, right? But like maybe your mental health or like your triggers or like that anxiety, maybe that stuff's holding you back and that's okay. Um, I would really like to say like, you want to make sure that you're in a good headspace before getting back into having sex so that the outcome is a more positive one. Because if your mind ain't right, the sex ain't right. Am I right? (laughs) That is a really good point that you brought up. And that's, I mean, across all boards, whether you have cancer or not. Exactly. And like piggybacking off of our mental health, our bodies actually have something I like to call stress pockets. And these pockets are areas of your body that store tension from like stress overload. And like one of these pockets happens to be in like the hip, dare I say, undercarriage area. I can't believe I said that. I love it. I love it. So like stress is yet another contributing factor to these like tight vaginal muscles. And let's take it even one step further. Even if you're experiencing all the things and it seems hopeless, it's not. Like don't ever feel like there's no hope. If sex is important to you, and it is important in relationships um, for some people, like it's a big part. And so like if it's important to you, like you fight for it. And there are steps that you can take to eventually get back to being sexually active again, regardless of what your body has endured. So Brit actually already mentioned like the vaginal moisturizers and the lubricants, but aside from brand name lubricants, I also want to throw coconut oil out there. That's kind of like one of those, like that would have been nice to know type things because I've heard there's something about the texture that really seems to do the trick during intercourse. So I heard that it makes your vagina not just be a tropical vacation, but smell like one too. Hell yeah, there you go. So like if you're trying to get back to that, you know, that place, like I feel like you didn't think my joke was funny, Ren. (laughs) No, I I think all of your jokes are, they're corny, but I appreciate them. And I appreciate you, so. (laughs) Aw, thank you. (laughs) Okay, so I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but I promise it's all in good, all in good what? Nature, fun. Nature. Fun, faith. Okay, so here are some things to help you get back to a healthy sex life. Here we go. There are things called dilators. They are different sizes and you can use them daily to help stretch the vaginal tissue and it's at your own pace. Let me tell you something though too about those dilators, folks. It's very important too, which I didn't even think of. If you notice that your vaginal wall is becoming tight to actually use those because I haven't had this done yet in my cancer journey, but there's going to come a time when you're keeping up on your women's health and you're going to have to have a pap smear done. Anywho, if you are tight from the medications, from lack of intercourse, whatever it may be, that is not going to be the best walk in the park. No, not pleasant at all. Mm -mm. Yeah, that was something I learned too, that there was actually women that weren't able to have um, their pelvic exam done because they were unable to tolerate um, the procedure for it. So they had to get scheduled to have some type of like, not sedation, but relaxing medications and really work on um, getting that tissue more stretched or expanded so that it would be less painful. 
Yeah, and I will say, like, when I mentioned how they have different sizes, they have, a, like, they, you can start with, like, a very small one. And then, like, as, I guess, your vaginal tissue starts to repair itself and become like a little bit more tangible you can go up the scale to uh, larger dilators and so like that's what I mean when I say that you can use them at your own pace but cool info Brit. I didn't even think about that that's very true okay so there are certain positions like the child's pose and the happy baby pose and those two yoga um, positions really really can help like relax those muscles I need to look up the happy baby because I have only heard of child's pose, but I am no yogi. That is for for sure. (laughs) They are really, really helpful. Um, So the third thing is mindfulness meditation. It can be a useful intervention in dealing with pelvic pain, but when done consistently. Uh, The next one is my favorite. This is pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes, there is a therapist out there that specializes solely in pelvic floor disorder function. When I tell you they are gifted individuals, I have been seeing a um, pelvic floor PT for a few years now, and uh, she has helped me tremendously. The next thing that I have here on my fancy list is noticing your activators, which kind of ties back into like the stress pockets that I mentioned before. Um, So there are certain activities, or we can even go with emotions that may negatively activate these specific muscles. Once you recognize it, you can try to change those habits to prevent these activators from creating too much tension. All right, so the next one is difficult. It's overcoming anxiety about sex with your partner. So this might look like having those really tough conversations and then hopefully easing into it. Maybe that means, I don't know, seeking a sexual couples counselor or therapist. Maybe that means working on physical affection first to try and get you back to humble beginnings. Um, Maybe that means doing other sexual activities first. All right. Well, I'll stop now because it's getting hot up in this here. This is why I make you say all the things I don't want to say. Girl, I'm getting hot. Jeez Louise. <laughs> um, lastly, and this one is the kicker, vaginal Botox. So this actually numbs the area and makes sex less painful, less chafing, you know, and it's because it's temporarily, I mean, it basically is paralyzing or like relaxing those specific muscles. Oh, oh okay. A couple thoughts on that last one. <laughs> one, Huda ah, wants the needle near their vagine to numb it. <laughs> and two, does insurance cover it? <laughs> I like those questions because one, you're like, what in the actual hell? And then the one you're, the second thing you're like, well, does insurance cover it? (laughs) Yes. So I'm sure it's painful, you know, but if a woman has exercised all other avenues and wants to get back to it, like, you know, having a good sex life again, I don't know. I doubt a couple needles will get in the way of that. And I actually have heard, yes, that it's covered by insurance. Um, as long as you can show proof of pelvic floor dysfunction and, just to add some, you know, medical stuff in there as a fun fact, I've actually learned that there are many conditions that pelvic floor PTs treat besides pelvic pain from breast cancer. So you've got bladder pain, endometriosis, IBS. Irritable bowel syndrome. 
Yep, constipation, abdominal pain, infertility issues, and I've even heard healing after sexual abuse. And so like these, these people are just, they're gifted. They're very gifted at what they do. But let's continue on and shift gears into infertility because it's so important. So when you were first diagnosed as an early stage AYA patient, and again, that's adolescent, young adult cancer patient, your oncologist immediately asks you if you see children in your future. If your answer is yes, or even maybe, she'll suggest fertility treatments to freeze your eggs so you at least have an option in the future. This is because your oncologist anticipates ovary damage from the chemo and the possible risk of not being able to conceive in the future. That's just really interesting how chemotherapy doesn't just damage cancer cells, but it damages a lot of cells. Exactly. I mean, the chemotherapy is just about harsh on everything. So I did fertility treatments before starting the Red Devil treatment when diagnosed early stage back in 2018. Um, I'm glad I made that decision when I did because as an MBC patient, it's extremely difficult to birth a baby when treatment is for life. You obviously can't carry a baby for nine months while undergoing treatment, but... Believe it or not, there are the occasional miracle stories of young women with MBC being stable enough to get off their treatment and give birth. It's freaking, I mean, it's phenomenal. Now, if you use a surrogate, you can use your own eggs if you went through fertility treatments, you know, like I did. Or of course, there's the option to adopt or foster to adopt. Um, I personally haven't looked too much into it, but I'm pretty sure a surrogate is close to like 30 to 50K. I love you to pieces, but I really don't know where you got those numbers because I was, I did a little fact check and it's more like 90 to 130,000, oh, which is bananas. Like, who has money? Who has money like that? I mean, I, I don't know, man. That's why like I have only ever wanted fur babies, so I can't relate to the feeling of wanting your own flesh and blood child, but yowzers, that will break the bank. So like you had your eggs frozen. Like, what are you planning to do, girlfriend? Oh God. Well, after that number, now I'm really questioning everything. But so the little bit of research that I have done, I've read that it, it actually is much cheaper if you look for a surrogate outside of the country. So to answer your question, like as of right now, we're enjoying stability. And I'm also finally enjoying like normalcy in my thirties, which is crazy to even say, but I guess like the silver lining is I no longer have to worry about the ticking of, you know, the good old biological clock. Danny and I have accepted that like me birthing a child is no longer in the cards for us. And we're at peace at that. So, you know, if we want to take another few years to ourselves before possibly becoming parents, then I mean, that's exactly what we're going to do. I mean, I, we owe that to ourselves. I owe that to myself, no pressure, no rush, no, ticking time clock, just us taking our sweet time and like making the best decisions for us as a couple. I think looking at things from different angles is half the battle of having an optimistic perspective. Is it unfortunate you aren't able to experience pregnancy and give birth to your own child? Yes. But on the other hand, you don't have the stress of worrying about getting older and your biological, biological clock running out. And I still with my entire being stand by God blessing us throughout our entire life's journey. If we are meant to be parents, we will. And that's regardless of what means we need to take to get there. Exactly. And listen, it took me a while to accept all of it. You know, it's sorrow, it's agony, it's debilitating, it's 
freaking cutthroat. It's like you're grieving a part of you that you can never get back. God, I, I mean, like, who wants to be stripped of something as precious as birthing your own child? Like, nobody, nobody wants that. No one's partner wants that for them. No one's family wants that for them. Like, not only does it feel like you give up a part of your life to, like, this diagnosis, but then you also give up your ability to birth your own children someday. I mean... Any young MBC patient out there who also has lost this ability, like, I stand with you. I can relate to you wholeheartedly. Your feelings are valid. You have every right to feel each and every emotion that you're feeling because this shit is so hard. But I will say this, once you feel all the feels and you experience all the stages of grief, you can and you will eventually move into this beautiful place of acceptance and that's where you can finally be at peace again. I feel awful because I don't know what to say. I mean, other than that, it is perfectly acceptable to be mad, to be angry, to feel jaded, process it, sort your feelings out, talk about it. Just don't stay in that place of feeling of loss or the feeling something was taken from you. And that goes with anything in life. So what did you and Danny have to go through to even make surrogacy a potential option down the road because I haven't gone through what is it harvesting of your eggs egg retrieval um I know nothing about that process yeah it's uh it's a lot so for anyone that is either you know on the fence about it thinking about it not sure if it's worth it like I just I'm gonna kind of go through the whole process and then hopefully you know listening to this will make your um decision a little bit easier so it's about a three-week process right the whole purpose of having your eggs extracted and stored for future use is is to you know obviously give you the best chance of being able to have children later on down the road you know if and when you're ready or able so i would say the hardest part for me and probably for most cancer patients is being able to squeeze those three weeks in when you're first initially diagnosed. I mean, you're eager to start treatment, you know, and if it's aggressive enough, like mine was, you're like, holy shit, like I don't have time. Like I don't have three weeks. No, like I can't even imagine delaying the start of treatment for three weeks for egg retrieval. Exactly. Mentally toy with me because I didn't like waiting five days just to get a second opinion to yeah. start treatment. Um, Let alone three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. No. So. No, it's like the hardest decision. Yeah. Cause you're like, I want to be a mom. I want to, you know, give myself that opportunity later on in life, but this is extremely aggressive. And my oncologist is advising me to start treatment ASAP. Like the first time around, I didn't even have time for second opinions. You know what I mean? Let alone this, but it all worked out because I did it. I have my eggs stored, but during that crazy time, it was like, holy crap, are we making the right decision? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It was difficult. So like it started out with belly injections of hormone medication every single day for two weeks. But I'm going to be honest, it felt like years. So basically the medication being injected daily is stimulating multiple eggs to develop. I couldn't do them myself. Uh, Danny, thank God for him. He did them for me. It was really hard on him too. I mean, no man or woman like wants to stick their partner with injections, you know, every single day. During these two weeks, you're also undergoing numerous pelvic ultrasounds to track the development of the eggs. And then of course, daily blood work. So once those eggs have matured, 
then I underwent an ultrasound guided surgical procedure to retrieve them. And this is also known as the egg retrieval surgery. So yes, it's anesthesia. It's an outpatient procedure. takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, Once certain eggs are verified by the doctor as mature, those eggs then have the potential to be fertilized and can be stored on away. And your girl retrieved 18, one eight mature eggs that day, which have been in a deep freeze ever since. Didn't you say that it's something like $50 a month to store your eggs? Oh yeah. Every single month. And where I went, um, the treatment center actually gave me like the first year free, which I thought, yes, which I thought that was like very nice of them to do. And for anybody, again, that is uh, located in Charlotte. It was called Reach and they handled my case with so much care. They discounted um, the whole thing for me because of my breast cancer diagnosis and gave me the entire first year free. So I would highly recommend Reach um, over in Charlotte, North Carolina. And to lighten things up just a tad, funny story, I was so bloated after the procedure that someone actually stopped Danny and I at the grocery store and congratulated us because I was waddling. I was actually waddling while holding like my belly because I was so bloated that it became like difficult to walk. Yeah, that's an experience I'm fine not having. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. Again, I have no regrets. I feel good that they, that I know that they're in a safe place and they are there if Danny and I ever want to use them in the future. Um, But the process in itself is a lot. And I do want to sit here and say that if there is anybody on the fence about, you know, freezing their eggs and doing the fertility treatments, like I am a resource. Like I am open to any questions you might have. I am open to just having a conversation about it. I know our girl Brittany has a beautiful takeaway for us today. So go ahead, girl. I want to say it's not always about sex. Sometimes the best type of intimacy is where you just lay back, laugh together at the stupidest things, hold each other and enjoy each other's company. When you are first diagnosed with cancer, it is easy to look at sex and the possibility of having children as two more things that are added to the list that cancer has taken from you. I encourage you not to go down that road. There are ways to get what you think you have lost. It might just involve more planning and possibly taking a different route. So with that said, Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast, Living Our Breast Lives. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Living Our Breast Lives, where we will share podcast updates, special dates, educational resources, and of course, health updates for those following our MBC journeys. Have questions, comments, or anything else you would like answered on our podcast? Send us a message on Instagram. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And as always, Choose kindness. Someone may look fine on the outside, but you never know who's actually struggling on the inside. Until next time, don't forget to live your best life. Thanks, everyone. God bless.